welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Back when we were only streaming our services, you might remember the wildly unsuccessful marigold experiment. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't really matter. The gist is I have never, with these two hands, ever successfully grown a plant or a flower or a vegetable or anything. I have the exact opposite of a green thumb. But about a year and a half ago, Julie planted three bushes in our backyard. I think first there were two, and then she planted the third one. Underscore, Julie planted these bushes. So she planted them, then the drip system watered them. The sun did whatever the sun does to these things. The dogs did a few things on these bushes. And I did nothing. And these bushes grew like crazy. In fact, they got to a point where it seemed like every week you would go out there and look, and they looked different than they did the previous week. They looked bigger and fuller. They shot up the back wall and grew so fast, I actually had to spend a few minutes out there the other day trimming them back. The process of growth is a fascinating wonder, isn't it? Something happened under the soil within the roots and the stems of these bushes, the sun and the water and time and who knows whatever else did something, produced something. I can't see the process, but I can certainly see the product. Well, in today's parable, Jesus is telling us this is how the kingdom of God works in this world and in our lives. Like seeds scattered, watered, and warmed by the sun, the kingdom grows, the kingdom extends, the kingdom expands. Something dynamic is happening then under the soil of our lives and under the soil of the world. Even though we can't always see it, we may not often feel it, and even when we don't think something is happening... Jesus is saying to us, something is happening. So we chose this parable on purpose. It's not the easiest one to understand. It's not the most popular. It's actually one of the ones that you kind of read and oftentimes, yeah, okay, fine, and keep going. We chose this parable to be part of this series on parables because it speaks to the challenging and chaotic times we find ourselves in as a culture and as a people of God. You notice the title again of this series, Imaginary Gardens with Real Toads. These imaginary worlds with real truth, real realities jumping out of them. Things that that actually have something to do with right now. And this parable is an imaginary garden with a very real and very important toad right in it. Because of the challenging and chaotic times we find ourselves in. This parable, I think, restores confidence that God is up to something under the soil of our lives and under the soil of the world, even in the midst of all this chaos and all this turmoil. His kingdom is present and it is growing, even though we may not see it or think so. So let's talk for a moment about Jesus' favorite subject. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus announces the essence of his message. And he does this in Mark chapter 1, 
verses 14 through 15. He says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus' favorite subject was the kingdom of God. It is sometimes called the kingdom of heaven or just the kingdom. But the meaning is essentially the same. The kingdom of God means the rule of God. It's where God calls the shots. It's where what God wants done is done. It's where God is in charge. Your kingdom come, as he taught us to pray in his prayer. Your rule come. You call the shots. You be in charge. So the good news Jesus announced was that the kingdom of God was near, is the word he uses. And throughout the Gospels, then, he teaches the way of the kingdom. He demonstrates over and over again in a variety of ways the power of the kingdom. And he invites people to new life in the kingdom. But the question is, when people first heard him say, the kingdom of God is near, what did it mean to them? We got a glimpse of this in this video about the parables. What did it mean to the first hearers of this phrase? How did first century Jewish people understand the phrase when Jesus said the kingdom of God is near? The kingdom of God was a well-known concept to the Jewish people. It is a predominant Old Testament theme. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of them constantly talk about the coming of the kingdom and the ultimate king who would rule with goodness and righteousness and justice. Isaiah 11 is one place where this kingdom and king are talked about. Isaiah 35 is another, but there are dozens of these places in the Old Testament. So for a first century Jewish listener, the kingdom refers to this glorious future under God's rule and under God's leadership. It points to a time when God will be in charge and the enemies of Israel will be destroyed. God will finally rule over his people and be their king. And here's one of the key things about this. The fruit of God ruling is a Hebrew word called shalom. So when God rules, the fruit of his rule, the fruit of his reign is shalom. Shalom grows. Shalom is this Hebrew word that is really hard to pack or define in one or two English words. So shalom means all-encompassing peace. Shalom means the restoration of all things. That is, making everything the way it was originally intended to be in God's heart. Shalom has to do with pervasive goodness that is sort of running into every nook and cranny of the universe. Shalom is universal flourishing in the goodness of God. People, animals, creation permeated with the fruit of God's rule. Shalom everywhere. The lion will lay down with the lamb and will not eat it. Deserts will teem with beauty and rivers of life-giving water will flow. Enemies will become friends. Adversaries will become advocates. Hostilities will be replaced with hospitality. Love and goodness and justice will pulsate in human beings and will pulsate in the world. Things broken will be healed. Reconciliation and restoration will be the order of the day. This is the kingdom in the minds of a first century listener. So Jesus' good news that the kingdom of God was near 
would have grabbed the attention of a first century Jewish listener. They would hear this as, wait a minute, maybe, finally, this wonderful future we've been hearing about all our lives is finally upon us. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. Now, this is where what they heard, the first century Jewish person, and what Jesus meant started to diverge or divert. See, he meant it is near, it is close, it is present in him. We now have access to the goodness and righteousness and justice and shalom of the kingdom through Jesus Christ. That's what he meant. This marvelous future of flourishing peace enters a new chapter in the coming of Jesus and in his life, death, and resurrection. God's rule over the world and over human life is now present and it's accessible and it's visible in a whole new way and at a whole new level through the person of Jesus Christ. Shalom is now available in new ways through him, but not all at once, not instantaneously. Shalom does not come right now. The kingdom does not end up taking root right now. The kingdom is near in Jesus, but not fully present just yet. See, one mistake the Jewish people make made is one many of us make. We tribalize God and make him ours, but not theirs, whoever theirs is. In both world wars, for example, warring nations claimed with certainty God's blessing on their cause, even though their cause was exactly the opposite from one to the other. So God is with us as we go fight you. God is with us as we go fight you. And you can see how it just doesn't make sense. We get trapped, in other words, in our own small stories, and we lose the big story of what God is actually doing in this universe. So the Jewish people knew about the kingdom of God, but their vision of it was too small. God is going to finally make things right for Israel. No more tyrannical Roman rule. Israel's Messiah and king will do what King David did in the past. He will defeat Israel's enemies and he will rule forevermore. So these Romans will be run out and we won't have to deal with them ever again. So to a first century Jew, the kingdom of God is near would mean, among other things, the revolt against Rome is near. The overthrow is about to begin. God was about to administer justice and establish his kingdom and rule forevermore. And this was all true, but not in the way the Jewish people thought, not only in the way the Jewish people thought. You see, what getting into the language of the parable, what the Jewish people wanted was the fruit of the kingdom to appear right now. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is here. Okay, now we're going to see what it's going to do. Rome's going to be defeated the Roman ruler is going to be kicked out and God will reign. And again, all of this was true, but not in the way the Jewish people thought. The kingdom they wanted and thought was coming was not the kingdom Jesus was actually bringing. So part of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom in these parables was intended to correct their mistaken ideas and expand their vision. His parables about the kingdom are designed to change the way they think about the kingdom, which is why he would often lead into his teaching by saying the kingdom of God is like. 
He's saying it's not like what you think it is. You think it's like this. You think it's going to play out this way. You think it means God is going to come and defeat the armies of Rome and dethrone the emperor, and then you'll enjoy freedom from oppression, and all will be well. You think it only has to do with you and your people and your nation, and it does. But it's much bigger than that. Shalom will indeed happen, but not the way you think it's going to happen. So let me explain, Jesus says. You see, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So this parable in Mark 4 has to do with the way the kingdom grows and expands and extends in human life, that is, in you and in the world. And it grows and it expands and it extends, just leaning right into this parable, often unseen, known only by its eventual fruit. So let's talk for a moment about the inherent growth of the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. Where God rules, growth happens. Where God is in charge, growth happens. Or put it this way. Where God is calling the shots, shalom is emerging. If God is calling the shots in a human relationship, shalom will be emerging. Goodness will be showing up. Peace will be a characteristic of it. Wherever God is ruling, shalom will be happening because the seed that is the kingdom of God has right in its DNA a capacity for the new and a capacity for shalom. It's another way of saying this is powerful stuff we're talking about. It creates that which is new And it brings forth that which is shalom. So the farmer plants a seed. The farmer does his part. The sun and rain and process do its part. And growth happens. New happens. The seeds eventually become small shoots, barely poking out of the ground. These shoots slowly grow and eventually become stalks. Then a small kernel of grain appears and eventually a full head of grain. And it all takes time and process. But new comes because inherent in the seed of the kingdom is growth, the capacity for new. So what does that mean? It means where the kingdom is, where God is ruling, there are things like healing. There's reconciliation in relationships. There's the restoration of wholeness within the human soul. Fracture, pain, uh, uh, disruptions that rip our souls to shreds from life and from hurt and from disappointment. There's wholeness happening as the kingdom extends within us. Forgiveness is happening. Goodness is flowing. Peace, righteousness, justice. These are all kingdom qualities. So this parable, I will tell you, this parable gives me hope. And I need a giant scoop of hope these days. And this gives me hope because it reminds me of the power God has to bring forth his purposes in our lives 
and in this crazy world in which we live. So let me say it this way. Under the soil, the kingdom is stirring. God is making something new. God is at work. His purposes cannot be thwarted in you, in the world. So think of this on an individual level for Christ followers. He wants to rule in us. He wants his way to be in us because his way is good. He wants to have say over our lives, over our decisions, over our disappointments, over our pains, over our relationships. And he is at work in us toward this end to align us with the ways of his kingdom. So here's the hope. Here's here's the good news of this. Here's what just resonates with me these days. We are not what we will eventually be. In Paul's words in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I hope you can hear that for yourself. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will carry it on. He will keep it going. He makes the seed of the kingdom grow. He does his work in us to bring forth the fruit of shalom. Think about this at the level of the world. What's happening in our world. I mean, think about it. It's crazy what's going on. What a mess. So much confusion. So much turmoil. So many questions we cannot answer. But the seeds of the kingdom scattered in this world as they are will continue to grow as God enables them. What does all that mean or look like? I don't know. But God is at work in the midst of the confusion and the turmoil and the chaos. God is at work in it. His kingdom is growing under the soil, if you will. It can't help but grow. Because the nature of the kingdom of, the God, of God is to bring forth the new. So tomorrow night, right here in this room at 7 o'clock, eight churches will be gathering together. Oak Hills is one of them. And we are going to talk about Christian unity in the community of Folsom across the churches. And I don't have time to go into all of this, but I will just say from my perspective, this isn't just my opinion, but it's the opinion of some of the others as well. God is doing something about Christian unity in our city. God is doing something about the Folsom church, not just Folsom churches. God is doing something about giving us a vision for how a united Folsom church is a powerful witness in a divided and contentious world. And the seeds of this were planted over 30 years ago. Kent was one of the pastors who planted those seeds. Kent was one of the pastors who had the idea of a Folsom church that was unified. And I'm telling you, something's happening around this. The kingdom is stirring and growing around this. Tomorrow night is an important night for me. Tomorrow night is something that I really care about. Uh, as we gather together and eight of us will be on this stage and we'll be talking about unity and some of the threats to unity that are happening in our lives and in our churches today. I hope you will be here tomorrow night. 
It matters. God is up to something. Let's talk about incremental growth of the kingdom. Do you ever think about the gap between who you are and who you would like to be? Or who you are and who you think God wants you to be? you ever think about that gap? We read all these marvelous descriptions in the Bible of a person who's being formed in the character of Jesus. They are someone who is growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, hope, wisdom, forgiveness, and so on. Wonderful picture. But let's be real. Regularly, we see who we actually are. We see how we treat our spouse. We see how we interact harshly with our family. We see how we think about and spew about those who are our enemies. We watch ourselves react to those who are different than we are. Or we see ourselves respond to those who have hurt us or disappointed us. I know for me, it sometimes feels like I am growing really well in selfishness, discontentment, anxiety, impatience, harshness, unkindness, complaint, and unforgiveness. I feel this in my bones sometimes. I have real situations in my life where I have a front row seat to my unformedness. I want my responses to be one way. I want to be the kind of person who reacts this way in these situations, but I'm not. Those responses are not who I want to be. You ever face that down? You ever feel that in your being? Sometimes the reality of who we really are is standing right in front of us, and it can be quite discouraging. Well, I've been thinking about some of my thoughts, some of my reactions to some of the pressures and realities surfaced by this pandemic. It's not easy to be a pastor these days. It's not easy to be uh, alive these days. It's not easy to lead a, church, lead a church these days. I know you have your own realities and your own pressures, but for me, I'm feeling these things more than almost I ever have as a Christian leader. And I've been thinking about my thoughts and reactions to some of the pressures and realities surfaced by this pandemic, and they are not who I want to be. It's disheartening at times to realize there's still a long way to go to become the person Jesus wants me to be. And I don't know if you resonate with this, but it can be exhausting to look at that gap. It can be frustrating. Progress is so slow, and that can be discouraging. And this is where this parable is encouraging to me, because it reminds us that growth happens incrementally, a little at a time. Growth happens slowly. The seed is scattered, and then it takes time for the seed to sprout and the seed to grow. It's not an overnight process. It takes time. It can be a long process. It can be an incredibly slow process. It's a little bit at a time. It takes time for the new to come. Think of this within the context of your own individual life and character. It takes time for the new to come. It takes time for the kingdom to expand in us. It takes time for us to surrender and let God rule over this. It takes time, as we've seen, for God's kingdom to extend 
so that he rules over the world. And you know something? God seems okay with the time it takes. I'm not sure we are. He seems patient with the process. I know I'm not. Growth is slow. It's incremental. Shalom happens, but not overnight. I mean, we see this slow and tedious back-and-forth process in the heroes and in the champions of our faith. We see this. Think of it. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, Peter, Paul. I feel some need to say Mary right now. They, we, we feel, we see this in them. Steps forward, then a step backward. Progress. Then foot gets stuck in a crack and boom, trip, fall. Broken nose. Step ahead, step back. Season of growth. Season of dormancy. Things seem to be happening. Things seem uh, dead. Life and hope and joy, all those characteristics sprouting and growing in me. Uh, selfishness, rudeness, unkindness, bitterness, unforgiveness growing in me. We see the same thing in the people of Israel. Faithful to God, then unfaithful. 400 years enslaved in Egypt, crying out to God, asking for him to intervene. Finally, he intervenes. They get away. They get free. Liberation, the very thing they claim they wanted comes. They almost immediately rebel against God and go their own way. So they spend 40 years wandering around in the desert. Finally, they get on the door of the promised land and it opens and they enter in. No sooner are they there that they rebel, they sin, and they don't repent. And so they get hauled off to Babylon in exile. They spend 70 years there. Finally, they come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, but all the while it's forward, backward. Then God goes quiet for 400 years. Between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, we read nothing. Obviously, God's doing things, but there's nothing there. Then Jesus, and he seems to be building quite a team, quite a, a squad, ranked number one, I'm sure, building a nice team. But then at the crucial moment, coming to the end of Jesus's life, Everybody on the team, except for one, goes scattering off in their own direction, taking care of themselves, not worrying about their loyalty to Jesus. Maybe not such a great squad. Then the church starts, and the power of the Holy Spirit fills these people, and they speak in other tongues, and thousands come in, and it looks like this new day has dawned where shalom is going to run like a flood. Oh, maybe not. Not long after that, trouble. The church trips and it struggles and it falls. This parable encourages patience in the process. And I know for me, one of the things that I need is patience with myself. Patience with myself. Patience with others. God doesn't work in finger snaps or wand waves. The seeds of the kingdom do not become the fruit of the kingdom overnight. I really feel this in these chaotic days. I need this. And you know what I need? I need to relax and be patient with the process. God is king. Shalom is coming in us, in me, in you, in the world. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. We may not see it. But because of who God is, we can be confident that when it seems like nothing is happening, something is happening under the soil. So think about this in light of your marriage. Think about this in light of your 
relationship with your younger children. Or if you're an older child, think about this in relationship with your parents, who the older you get, the more annoying they get. I know how that works. Think about this with regard to your own character development. Some area of your character that just has this dent in it. And it doesn't seem like the dent's ever going to go away. Think about this with regard to your faith and, and this idea of trusting God. And you think about that in light of this world. And maybe some part of you is going, how can I keep trusting God? I look at the world or I look at the larger Christian community. I see the way the larger Christian community often responds to what's happening. And if I'm just gut level honest, I want nothing to do with that. And that may cause struggle for you. You may look and say, I'm just really not doing well in my confidence in God. Well, think about all those areas as places where patience may be needed. Incremental growth. I've watched people despair about how slow growth occurs. I've despaired. How back and forth it seems to be. And maybe relax, rest. Dare I say, enjoy, wait, and trust all the way. Last thing, quickly, let's talk about invisible growth. We've alluded to this all throughout. scholar named David Garland writes about this parable. He says, it applies to those times in our ministry when we might feel like the Spirit has gone on holiday. You ever feel like that? Like God has left the building or your heart, or he's left you. And you're wondering, how did I get here? What's happening? When the seed fell onto the ground, it began to grow, but there was nothing visible at the surface, maybe for a long time. Things were happening beneath the soil. But it took time before that dynamic activity beneath the soil showed up above the soil. And growth in our life with God is like that. It can be invisible for a very long time. And failure is sometimes the beginning of something new God is doing under the soil. Failure can sometimes be the beginning of something God is doing under the soil. Julie and I came to California in 1995 and the reason we came was to start a new church. And I failed at it. It didn't happen. We went along with it for a while, and then I quit. I gave up. It was a hard road. And I didn't see it at the time. And I only see it a little bit now. But something was happening under the soil of that failed experiment. And I don't say that to brush aside the hurt I caused to different people. I don't. I mean, that's an easy thing to do. Yeah, I know that hurt you, but God was doing something in me, so get over it. I mean, that's a cheap play. So I don't say it to say that. But God was doing something under the soil. Invisible something. For a long time. So here's what I want to leave you with. He's up to something under your soil right now. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not even believe it, but he's doing something. He's growing something in you if you are his follower. He's making something new. 
He's bringing shalom in some part of your heart, your character, your relationship. He wants to do this, and as you cooperate and surrender, he will do it. But you may not see it. And it could very well be the starting point is a failure you've had or a loss you've experienced or a pain you've endured because God has a very long resume of taking these things we call failures and making something new out of them. Would you pray with me, please? We want to take a moment to simply come into his presence and to worship him and lift our eyes off of the chaos and the turmoil and plant them squarely on our king of glory. The one who is at work in the world right now. The one who is at work in your life right now. The one who has all of the things that we think are confusing and messy and broken, all of the things we may think are failures. He is the king of all those things. And he reigns right now. He is ruling right now. And through Jesus, you and I can come near to this kingdom and experience it. We can have aspects of our heart and mind, our thoughts, our feelings, our wills can be surrendered to this king. And then out of that, the fruit of his shalom can grow in us. Peace, goodness, forgiveness, letting go releasing, trusting. The power of the kingdom of God, the power of the king who is God. He is our help. He is our salvation. He is the one who brings new out of old. He is the one who brings wholeness out of failure. We worship you, our King. We celebrate who you are. And we thank you that you are a God who restores and heals and that shalom is coming. Amen.